came from outer space to fill the world with terror. What earthly power can stop this terror? That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop. The from outer space. And you think there was acid in your burger. Whoa, whoa. I didn't say acid. I just said, you know... What's the coincidence? You know, we got this new Travis Scott meal. It only costs six bucks. All the hype beasts going to be eating it up. And, you know, <laughs> next thing you know, government's controlling everyone. And we are ready to go tonight, ladies and gentlemen, because we are filled up with the Travis Scott meal. Uh, we've Which got it. we got ripped off on. So, Travis, we did not get the barbecue sauce with our Travis Scott meal. And honestly, I'd go McDouble over Travis Scott meal. We've got acid in our drinks, and we're ready to go. Because well, we're getting we're getting psychedelic tonight. Yeah, right? Ryan's drinking the captain, so you know it's real. Got a little cactus jack in there. Tell him Jack sent you. Well, tell him Teabag sent you, because this is the fucking podcast from outer space. And it's your boy Rob Scott. We got Teabag in the house tonight, ladies and gentlemen. He's decked out in some uh extreme hippie gear. Peace and love, everybody. Thanks for listening. And as always, it's Ryan Scott. Be one with the universe, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, before we get too deep into things, I would like to just give a quick shout out to our friends over at Ember and Pine Company. It's a new candle company fresh out of uh, Tacoma, Washington area. And, uh, you know, they got us. Now, what does that scent over there say? Yeah, I was going to ask you, what is that scent? Jasmine uh, and sage, I do believe. Ladies and gentlemen, and it smells... Sounds like my Friday night. We got the whole... <laughs> we got, oh, Adam's been going to the old uh, Thai rubdown spot on the corner there <laughs> in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, <laughs> asking for the old teabag special. And yeah, actually, shout out to the candle from Taco, Washington. I'm loving the scent. Uh, it's bringing a positive vibe to the studio. And yeah, we got that sage burning, ladies and gents. And you know, if you're interested in grabbing one, Go hit it up. I believe they have a uh, a website. Maybe you just go on their IG. Uh, We're following them. So first first and foremost, go to the podcast Instagram. (laughs) Then find them off of there. Then boom, you got yourself, you know, you got a sick-ass candle. You know, it's going to be all good things, baby. That's a nice double plug there. Now, I have two questions. Two, how do I get my own signature scent? And McDonald's, hello, Michael Jordan, Travis Scott, teabag, that's the next logical meal, right? Absolutely. Teabag's trifecta. Yeah, it comes with a sweet tea. (laughs) What else is it coming with? (laughs) And and that might be it. (laughs) Because usually your fridge is pretty fucking bare. You get a fucking fillet of fish and a sweet tea. <laughs> That's a, That's yeah, it. what? It's literally just your meal. Like, what is your meal? Because Travis Scott could literally shit in a box and people would buy it. Yeah, tea bag. Wow. You're going to McDonald's. What are you getting besides tea? Obviously, thirty packets of ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> so you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. You're getting the uh, tea bag special with thirty packets of ketchup and a big old sweet tea. And, you know, without further ado, let's get psychedelic, boys, because we're hopping into MK Ultra oh. for episode number 80. Yes, in this series, we are getting back to cold, hard government facts. And speaking of cold ones, 
as we will be getting into an in-depth history of MK Ultra, which was the code name for the CIA's mind control program in their search to create the perfect soldier or Manchurian candidate, uh, which lasted nearly two decades that we know of. And holy moly, slap my ass and call me Shirley. This one is big, guys. Uh, and these, <laughs> I'm serious. These stories are absolutely incredible, insane, fucking batshit crazy. We are going to take a look at the precursor programs, the start of MK Ultra, and the case of Dr. Olson in this episode. And in part two, we are going to get into some of the wilder, downright scary LSD experiments, among other field tests. Uh, and the overall effects that this program had on the general public as the CIA's web of deceit, we'll call it on this one, <laughs> encompassed 149 sub-projects and directly involved 80 institutions, including 44 universities, 15 research facilities, and 12 hospitals, and three prisons. And this all ended up costing the taxpayers, you and me, in the neighborhood of... 10 million doll hairs. Now, I don't want to slander anybody, but that kind of sounds like my whole college experience. $10 million? <laughs> 44 universities. And all you got to show for it is the winter soldier. <laughs> now, okay, right off the bat, you know, as always, you know, what have you guys heard of this one? Like, what do you know? What did you know before kind of diving into this episode, if anything? What do we got? We're talking MK Ultra. The department, the department of Energy. That's it. That's all I know, baby. Stranger Things. So Stranger nothing. Things. So you know nothing about this one. Nothing. LSD. Okay. So you did know, in fact, something. You knew that it had a connection to LSD, or did you not know anything prior to this episode? I mean, are these the same guys in the beginning of uh, Pineapple Express? Uh, that's Army. But similar, okay. like the, you'll see the connection with Pineapple Express. That's um, old okay. hat. Yeah, that, that was kind of old hat. Now, <laughs> Ron, now, Rob, what did you know, if anything? Uh, the Just the tip of the iceberg, you know, just that uh, government agents experimenting with LSD to use it as a mind control substance, basically. Okay, okay. Uh, but you, none of the details or anything in that nature, just, you know, CIA experiment with LSD? Yeah, just the basics. Okay. Yeah, I think I first heard of this one in that Immortal Technique song. Uh, <laughs> are you familiar? With the devil? No, it wasn't I'm Dancing with the Devil. <laughs> Let me find out the exact name because that is going to bother me. It's off of Revolutionary Volume 2, and it was, uh, I believe it's the fourth branch where he talks about MK Ultra oh. controlling your brain. And I hear this lyric, and I'm like, MK Ultra, what is this? What is this? I look it up, and you know, the classic Wikipedia stuff, but I had no idea the so depth that this thing went. Immortal Technique sparked your interest. Oh, absolutely. I think Immortal Technique was the jumping point for me for a lot of conspiracy theories. Hip-hop in general, yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, I mean, you KRS one with the Illuminati. Uh, I mean, hip hop, you know, lot of anonymous. Yeah, skateboarding and hip hop very heavily tied to conspiracy oh. theories. Skateboarding, though. Yeah. Now, okay. Now, let me pose a question to you, gentlemen, uh, and I need a qu I need an answer from each of you because, um, 
like what is, to you guys is the quintessential LSD trip song? Like, say your life is a movie. Here's a hypothetical scenario. Your life is a movie. My life is a movie. Actually. And you take a tab of acid. And we get the whole Requiem for a Dream cut. The pupils are dilating. You're fucking, the colors are hitting you. Boom, you open your eyes. You're tripping. What song starts playing? Probably a Jared Leto song, now that you say it. Okay, so My Chemical <laughs> Romance starts playing for you? That's not My wasn't Chemical he in Romance. The, wasn't he the vocalist but... of that? Oh, 30 Seconds to Mars. Yeah. Okay. So 30 Seconds to Mars for Rob. Teabag, what do you I'm got? I'm kidding, dude. <laughs> it was a re- Requiem reference. No, 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 re- no recant. You can't recant that. I'm not recanting, <laughs> but I'm saying my song would definitely be Break On Through, baby. Okay, doors. so Doors, classic. Out, a little Aldous Huxley in there. Okay, I like it. I see, I was thinking about this all day. I was driving out to Asheville, and I was like, man, LSD, Lucy in the Sky, Beatles anything, dude. Oh, so you're going Beatles. Okay. Should okay. wear my Beatles shirt tonight. <laughs> okay. Now I'm now I think for me, I think it would be the uh I think it would be some Jefferson Airplane song. Mm. Maybe Ooh. somebody to love because I think back when I was a young tyke and that scene in the cable guy when they're singing it on karaoke. Cable guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh I think for me that would be the quintessential acid song, or maybe some white rabbit. Ooh. You know, little Lindsey Robinson doing some heel flips hey, in there. I just worry, like, if you like, if you pick the wrong song, are you gonna have a bad trip? Probably. So you know, without further ado, drop it if you got it. And that's acid. Uh, and remember, guys, if your radio waves seem to become interrupted, if your dog starts talking to you, and your cat smiling at you from a tree. Just remember, that's the acid kicking in. <laughs> now, first and foremost, uh, before we get into this one, it's important to remember um, all of this is true. You know, I, I mean, at times this is going to sound like it's straight out of a comedy film, like one of those spoof films, you know, like what are like, you know, the spoof films like that spawned off from scary movie like um Sorry, I banged the 40-year-old virgin who knocked up Sarah Marshall or something like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Those like spoof films. Like not another teen movie. Yeah, yeah. This is like there is there is stuff in here that's like a scene out of that type of movie. Or like in the second episode specifically, like one of those like titty horror films. My favorite kind. Yeah, like a um, hostel. Or- that's not a titty horror film. Yes, it is. That hostel is only tits and violence. Oh, I thought you were talking like Left for Head. No, no, I'm not talking actual. <laughs> <laughs> not talking actual porn. I'm talking like a titty horror film. Like it's got. Oh, we're going to the cabin and we're getting naked and then we're getting killed by Jason. That's pretty God, much all yeah. horror films. Yeah, exactly. Nowadays. Yeah. Um, Not but, complaining, just saying. But, you know, I, I got to reiterate, this is all 100% true factual information. This was all documented and testified to in court. And uh, going off that... This so you know it's real. Hey, pretty much all of this research comes from John Mark's 1978 book, The Search for the Manchurian Candidate, the CIA and mind control, 
The Secret History of the Behavioral Sciences. Now, I cannot recommend this book enough. It's a pretty short read, and it is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, if you have any interest in this, pick this book up. Uh, This was basically the first investigative book to come out exposing the CIA's MKUltra program, and he cobbled this book together based on seven boxes of redacted financial reports, interviews, and Senate testimony. Uh, Because at the time the MKUltra was at its height, which is back in like mid-50s, early 60s, the CIA was doing so much shit. They had so much power. And this is only the shit that got out by mistake, uh, which, of course, we're going to get into a little later. So God only knows the whole story. Am I right? You are right. And as a lawyer, I will let you know that this does <laughs> hold up in court. <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> now, essentially, this all comes about, like when we say this got out by mistake, so this all comes about with the Rockefeller Report. And um, if it wasn't for this report, we probably would have never even known about any of this stuff. Now, the cliff notes on the Rockefeller report was basically... um, So shout out to Jay-Z, first and foremost. (laughs) This is not the the, uh, record company, but I think this was like Rockefeller. Did he name that after John D? Yeah. So this is his grandson. Okay. So... Jay-Z? No, not Jay-Z's <laughs> grandson. John D's grandson. So, 1974, article comes out in the New York Times, which focuses on the CIA conducting illegal domestic activities. Now, this was mostly connected to Operation Chaos. And under President Gerald Ford in 1975, he set up a committee to investigate this stuff, headed by Vice President Nelson Rockefeller, John D's grandson. Interesting. Uh, now, exactly. Like, this this report was basically a fucking fugazi, a fugazi, it's a wazi, it's a woozy. Like, <laughs> they're not going to sell any of their own guys down the river. He's just like, yeah, we'll look into that stuff. Uh, now, the commission <laughs> issued a single report in 1975 touching on certain CIA abuses of power, including mail opening and surveillance of domestic dissident groups. And buried in these reports were objection hearsay. (laughs) Buried in these reports were vague references to experiments on U.S. citizens during the 1960s in regards to MK Ultra. Now, is that just pure slander, or is there some truth? Exactly. There's a lot of truth because people start diving deeper, deeper, deeper into this, and this is how this whole episode developed. How the book developed, subsequently, how this episode developed. Now, as with any government program, there's there's precursors, Um, you know. So 1942, um, 1943, the Office of Strategic Services. That's OSS for short. So this is basically set up as the precursor to the CIA. Now, they set up the Truth Drug Committee. Uh, now, with this committee, they tested and rejected. <laughs> yeah. So they tested and rejected drugs like mescaline, barbiturates, and scopolamine, trying to MBS. find. So they're just testing out drugs as a job. Exactly. They're trying to find a universal truth serum. Mm. Now, eventually, they figured marijuana looked like a pretty safe bet. Illegal. <laughs> yeah, so so this is the Pineapple Express connection because these this was, I think, still like under the army, under the guise of the army, OSS. Um, so in conjunction with the Manhattan Project. Check that episode out if you haven't already. 
the OSS got a dozen or so volunteers to take a concentrated liquid form of marijuana produced by an American pharmaceutical company. That sounds like what Adam was doing when he had OSS. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now, hear me out here because this is like, um, let me know Shit. if you guys agree with this because reasoning for this is like, they kept it inside the Manhattan Project because what they were already doing was highly secretive. So they figure, you know, let's get some volunteers from here and we'll test drugs on them. <laughs> this makes sense, right? Um, so, you know, one basically like how like the House and the Senate try to attach bullshit stuff to random bills. Oh, no one will ever pick up on this. Let's just sign it off on it. Yeah, I guess. But I think they were saying like these guys are already sworn to secrecy. So we might like we talked okay. about in our episode, there was guys that it was a huge project. You know, there was construction guys. It wasn't just the scientists making the nuclear bombs. So maybe it was some of these guys. But like, I don't think they were giving Einstein this fucking marijuana pill. Or maybe maybe that's how he came up with the fucking idea. <laughs> Just him and Oppenheimer in a room. Oh, I think we, we make a nuclear bomb. <laughs> like, uh, so so one of the guys involved uh, claimed that this 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 pharmaceutical marijuana it didn't work because the human system couldn't handle that dosage. It was so highly concentrated that most of the subjects just leaned over and immediately vomited. One of them had to be taken to the hospital and none of them gave away any secrets. So this was a monumental failure. Just imagine a pharmaceutical company is like synthesizing THC to the level that the human human system just couldn't handle it. This is like Lexi the other day eating pot brownies that were too strong. <laughs> now, so, so the OSS starts looking into new ways to administer the drug. And they figure, hell, we'll use the fumes by pouring this liquid concentrate over charcoal. Now, enter the picture George White. Uh, this was an army captain who was previously in the Federal Bureau of Narcotics. This was the precursor to the DEA uh, before working for the OSS. Now, we'll get more into this guy on the next episode, but he already tested the drug on himself and knocked himself out with such a high dose. And again, you know, sounds like a fake name. Just going to put that out there. Well, real guy, documented, proven. <laughs> Um, George White. Yeah. Now, long story short, OSS takes a page from, and this is from the book, the jazz musicians at the time, and they start rolling spliffs because as, uh, as OSS documents claimed a mix of tobacco and Mary Jane caused quote unquote, a state of irresponsibility. Uh, so we'll make that illegal. <laughs> so <laughs> May of 1943, George White administers the first field test by dosing notorious New York gangster August de Gracio. Now, White had been in conversations about working with the mob with Mr. de Gracio. So he says, hey, you know, come on up to my pad for a drink and a cigarette. Um, Is this a date? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're just talking shop, you know, a couple guys in the 1940s, come on up, drinking a cigarette, you know, Cop and a gangster. Yeah. And they're, 
and and George just starts handing this guy spliff after spliff. This guy has no idea there's marijuana in these cigarettes. And over a period of two hours, he told federal narcotics agents the ins and outs of the drug trade. Uh, And the cigarettes were also packed with so much marijuana that he passed out for about an hour. Yep. Now, overall, the the experiment was considered a success. Uh, So the OSS continues these field tests on suspected communist soldiers at military camps throughout the South. Uh, Now, George White and his accomplice, I guess, say that they would like... They would like carefully remove cigarettes from the carton and then they would inject them with liquid THC, <laughs> let them dry in a shot glass, and then package them back up. So, <laughs> and they would just like, they, they would just have guys come talk to them and like see the effects it had on them and just see what this would get out of them. No wonder people are addicted to smoking. Yeah. So this guy, be, th- so this becomes like the seeds of the CIA's full on search for. Um, control of human behavior. Now, uh, in World War II, you know, this was like the end of the U.S. isolation. Uh, You know, we were no longer out here by ourselves. The world was becoming smaller. Uh, We got to get into the spy game, you know? So Roosevelt, he created the OSS in 1942, and by 1947, the National Security Act officially created the CIA. Now, the CIA, they kind of get this idea of the Manchurian candidate. And if you don't know what that is, that's an unwitting assassin brainwashed and programmed to kill. So this is basically the plot of Zoolander. You know, relax. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's like, it's like. The file is in the computer. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the idea that you could program something in someone's brain and have a trigger, have them killed. This was like a real. Like, they thought this could actually be obtained. Now, the behavioral control program comes along in part because of the trial of Joseph Cardinal Menzenti uh, in 1949. Now, in short, this guy basically confessed to crimes that he did not commit and appeared zombie-like or in a trance on stand at the trial. Uh, Now, all in all, this guy would had really just been brutally tortured into giving a false confession. That's nice. Yeah, but the CIA automatically assumes that he's under some type of hypnosis. You know, there's some compelling force to explain his appearance at the trial, and they're thinking, you know, what are these Russians up to? We need to get in the ground level of this. We need to do some research ourselves. So April 20th, 1950, Project Bluebird was approved. Perfect day. Exactly. A lot of connections around like 420 in this episode. Uh, Now, this was basically the beginning of the CIA looking into hypnosis and mind control. And they figured, hell, you know, best uh, defense is what? Smoking spliffs. Killing brain cells. No, you play football. Come on. Best defense is what? A good offense. Exactly. Understanding the offensive capabilities. Um, Mm. Now, one of the main points of Operation Bluebird was to try and, quote, control an individual to the point where he would do the agency's bidding against his will and even such fundamental laws of nature, such as self-preservation. So by the time Korea... The Korean War rolls around. Um, Morse Allen is head of Project Bluebird. 
And mind you, this is the beginning of the CIA's behavioral research program. Now, this character, Morris Allen, he had no academic training for behavioral research. Perfect. Although he did take a course in hypnotism once. Hell of a class. <laughs> so, so um, says here, I'm looking at your notes here. says here you took um, a course in hypnotism? Uh, yes, one course. Well, I, sir, would say that you're overqualified. <laughs> so, so you know this is the, this is the head of the cia's behavioral research no academic training whatsoever um now the mindset of the time is important uh this is pretty important because like because bloober began when hitler was fresh in everybody's minds stalin was still in power uh so the threat of global nuclear war was just starting to become very real Um, So just like Operation Paperclip, you know, we discussed that. The whole mindset became fear and paranoia. It became... Still is, baby. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it became like, we need to be at the top of our game. We got to stay one step ahead of the commies. Now, this idea of like a Cold War paranoia is used by the government a lot as an excuse for a lot of the stuff they got away with. Uh, For example, Operation Paperclip drug testing, chemical testing. Uh, And while this definitely is not an excuse, it does help to explain how a lot of this stuff was able to happen. You tracking? We're tracking. So Bluebird is approved out of complete paranoia because the guy that wrote the book um, that I discussed at the top of the episode, uh, he even cites a CIA security document Um, as stating that the data gathered on Soviet mind control program is quote-unquote extremely poor, and the agency info was based on second and even third-hand rumors. (laughs) But nonetheless, the myth of mind control and hypnosis grows between 1950 and 1952. Now, the program changes hands a few times from the Office of Security to Scientific Intelligence back to the Office of Security, and is even renamed Project Artichoke. Goes great with all that spinach they were burning. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> now, Project Artichoke was headed by the technical services staff. And this was the division in the CIA responsible for, like, gadgets, disguises, weapons, uh, forgeries, all that type of shit. Hmm, Inspector Gadget, got it. Yeah, or, like, um, what's the guy in James Bond? M? The guy that gives him all his gadgets? I think Emma's the lady. Emma's the lady that's in charge. <laughs> okay, so what's the guy? Q? Yeah, maybe. Okay. Yeah. yeah, Q. This is like Q. Um, so in an effort to not duplicate work, um, they brought in the U.S. military intelligence as well. So the Army mm. and Navy were looking into truth drugs, and the Air Force was studying interrogation techniques. So just more people that are have no qualifications. Got it. <laughs> I mean, maybe... Oh, like. You fly planes, you should definitely interrogate people. Well, well, I think, well, actually that kind of makes sense because the Air Force was studying interrogation. (laughs) No, I'm serious. The Air Force was studying interrogation techniques because like downed pilots, that's a thing. They would get interrogated. Hey, want to get high, Craig? That's what they said. Um, That's what they just said to him. Yeah, but you know, I mean, God only knows what they were looking into. That's another episode for another day. Well, obviously some appetizers based on the name. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, now they would all meet under this guise of Project Artichoke to discuss new developments. Um, and they keep up with this artichoke for a while, uh, working in tandem with the military, but it's just not going the way the CIA wants. You know, there's too much bullshit going on. Oh, this um, is with the CIA. Yeah, yeah too right? much red <laughs> tape. You know, the CIA says that the hardest aspect was finding guinea pigs or test subjects for mind <laughs> control experiments because at this stage, as we said, you know, it's a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, they're keeping their moral compass, you know. This is before they went fully rogue, as we'll find out. Honest question here. Give me the number. How much would the CIA have to pay you for you to volunteer to be a guinea pig? Dude, nothing. If, if these experiments, I would volunteer. Like, they need to call <laughs> me up. I need to be fucking working for the CIA for this shit. You well, know, if it's free, you wouldn't be really working for them. You just said you'd do it for free. I would, <laughs> I would do it for free. If the CIA called me up today and said, We're gonna give you CIA acid, I'd be like, Sign me up. Oh, shit. I bet you and Jetty Groom got enough notes, pages of notes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The CIA it. could just hire us. Now, now it's important to remember here as this thing starts to take shape. Um, what's the name of the spy game, guys? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? No, no, no. Come on. What's the name of the spy game? I spy. Deceit. <laughs> you know, the intel world is rife with liars and deceivers. This is why the thing started out. You know, the search for a truth drug. If you could be 100% all the time that your man was telling the truth, you could get light years ahead in the intel world. Uh, because you know torture that had been around for years. That been that's been for around years. Uh, okay, around <laughs> <much> centuries. Yeah, <laughs> like a Spanish Inquisition. Like the CIA Tales took a lot of notes time. from them. Yeah, tales all this time torture. But even torture wasn't foolproof. You know, I mean, you torture anyone long enough, they're going to tell you whatever you want to hear, right? Yep. Especially if they forget that safe word. Yeah, and this goes both ways, you know. You're trying to get information and flip agents and opposing forces are trying to do the same thing to your guys. So if you got guys that know too much, what would be the perfect way to counter that? Merk them. No, come on. You got somebody who knows too much, flip of a switch, how could you counter that? Drugs, baby. Amnesia. Well, oh, men, yeah. men in black style? Oh, yeah. Men in black style. Flash of a fucking light. So this sort of... Forget about it. <laughs> you know, this sort of morphed into a way to find the perfect soldier. You know, someone you could program to cross any moral line, do what you needed them to do, and then have their memory, boom, cleared out. Now, would you say they were Mighty Morphin? I don't think so. Uh, but, hey... Mighty Morphin, you know, this is a common movie trope, right? I mean, Manchurian Candidate, Universal Soldier, Paycheck, Blade Runner, Jason Bourne, Dark City, Total Recall, Men in Black, the list goes on. You know, how many movies do we have with like, we got to create the perfect soldier and we can wipe their memory and, and shit always goes sideways, you know? Mm-hmm. Have so you, you seen Spy Kids? Same <laughs> yeah, story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> MK Ultra is the plot of Spy Kids. <laughs> so you know, so you've got this idea birthed from not only science fiction but the core of the spy world. You know, and the CIA just takes these ideas and sort of runs with it. 
So we get MK Ultra uh, in April of 1953. Alan Dulles, who was the CIA director, approved a program proposed by Richard Helms. Got an airport named after him too. And Sid Gottlieb for the contr- for the covert uses of chemical and biological materials to be used in future clandestine operations. Now, for all the ingrates out there, what does that mean? So that's like, like clandestine is like spy operations, like keeping it secret, you know. So they want to use hmm. chemicals and stuff. Um, Gottlieb, this guy was a maniac in his own right. He like <laughs> overcame a club foot or something like that or a cl- uh, cleft foot. What is it? That makes him a monster. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, well, listen. So so he overcame Clubfoot. He had a, a hell of a stutter that would come out when he was angry. He lived with his family in an, a fixed-up slave cabin, and he would milk goats every morning at 5.30 a.m., and his family only drank goat's milk. <laughs> did you read his autobiography? I, I did. I did. It was in the book. Is this where the plot for Men Who Stare at Goats comes from? <laughs> no, but this is kind of along those same lines. Now, Have you guys ever seen uh, Silence of the Lambs? Is that where they were going with this? No, this is oh. goats. <laughs> Lambs don't have milk. Um, I'm kidding. So, dude. so this guy became like he became like high up in the chemical core and very then, high. Yeah, and then he, as he proposes this idea with Richard Helm to use these chemicals, um, so Dulles approves this uh, with an initial budget of three hundred grand. Uh, that's almost three million in twenty twenty money. That's nothing for the CIA, baby. Exactly, as we'll find out. Now, the program was also exempt from normal CIA financial controls, and agency bookkeepers would pay costs blindly as long as Gottlieb signed off. So they basically could start all these programs without the red tape. Mm. You know, they could skip all this bureaucracy bullshit. They could kind of just do whatever they want. Just like the movie Blank Check. (laughs) Another movie reference. Similar, yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> similar now <laughs> and that movie is very weird in its own right because the kid is like dating a right a woman who's way older than him and she's in the cia isn't she or a cop or something Dude, i don't know any any he's got a blank check though so any the program is named mk ultra now mk means it was a tss project and ultra is speculated could have been taken from the highly secretive ultra program in World War II around cracking German codes. Hmm. Now, there was also MK Delta. This was a year prior. Uh, TSS had already set up procedures for testing some of these substances under the codename MK Delta. Uh, so this became the operational side of MK Ultra. And MK Naomi in 1952. Um, the TSS made an agreement with the Army Special Operations Division, also known as SOD, uh, at Fort Diedrich, Maryland, to produce germ weapons for the CIA's use under codename MK Naomi. Great. She also works on the corner uh, Thai Happy Shop. <laughs> That's why Adam goes there so much. Yeah, so they've got a full-on structure for producing and testing drugs on uh, their test subjects or guinea pigs. And now they're making germ war, too. Great. Mm. Well, that that goes in tandem. Like, mostly they got, like, chemicals and stuff to test from from sod. 
Um, Assad. Now, they look at hundreds of drugs, from cocaine to nicotine, uh, for these special purpose substances. I think I'd like to try me some of this cocaine. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Now, all this research was more or less a continuation of what was already uh, happening in Nazi concentration camps. Uh, they were doing mescal- They were testing mescaline, uh, like dosing people with mescaline, and Japanese prison camps were doing the same thing. And as we said so, in our, our paperclip episode, they kind of got this research and were like, hey, we can kind of continue with this. Well, like we talked about, a lot of those German guys came over and worked for our government under Operation Paper. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, and even Yikes. we talked about like the bio lab, like the guy who was working there. So yeah, a lot of this stuff is kind of a continuation of that. Um, but ever in those early days of MK Ultra, one drug seemed to stand out amongst the rest of them. That was none other than lysergic acid diethylamide, also known as LSD. Now, this is really where shit starts to go full send. But first, <laughs> let's back it up a little bit here. You know, uh, let's take you back to 1943 to a city called Basel on the Rhine River in northwest Switzerland, when on April 16th, Dr. Albert Hoffman was working at Sandoz Laboratories, when all of a sudden, he feels a wave of dizziness, almost like he caught a buzz from drinking. Mm. Uh, Now, he feels pretty weird, so he decides to bike it on home and relax. And he describes... I sank into a not unpleasant, intoxicated-like condition, characterized by an extremely stimulated imagination. In a dreamlike state with eyes closed, I found the daylight to be very unpleasantly glaring. I perceived an uninterrupted stream of fantastic pictures, extraordinary shapes with intense kaleidoscopic play of colors. After about two hours, this condition faded away. So he's back to normal, and all he's thinking is, what the hell could the culprit be here, you know? He assumed that it was none other than D-lysergic acid diethylamide, or LSD, which he had produced five years earlier, as he had been examining derivatives of ergot, a rye fungus. Uh, Now, this is connected with all types of weird shit, from simple medicinal purposes to witches and plagues. Mm. Like, I think we talked about this on our Salem Witch Trials. A uh, bit. Yeah, we like Aragot, they thought a lot of like people who would like hallucinate and shit were witches. Uh, this is connected to Aragot. Anyways, he's experimenting with this stuff. He develops LSD. Nobody gives a fuck. He's got it on his shelf for five years. Um, and, and one day he just popped some. Well, it, I think he spilled it on his hand. Mm. And now, uh, now, this was all part of a program to purify and synthesize active constituents uh, to use for pharmaceuticals. Anyways, he figures he got some on his skin by accident. So he goes back to the lab and he whips up a fresh batch of LSD. Love it. Then he proceeds to take 250 micrograms. Jesus Christ, dude. Now that's less than one one hundred. 100,000th of an ounce. Uh, The standard dose is anywhere from 30 
to a hundred micrograms. <laughs> so like a God. blotter, like a blotter tab, you know, like it's like a hundred. It's, it's yeah, that's like fifty to a hundred, give or take. Uh, now, so he he doses himself <laughs> two hundred fifty micrograms in order to test his hypothesis, as any good scientist does. Uh, sure. Now, less than an hour later, he noted sudden and intense changes in his perception. He asked his lab assistant to help him get home. They set out on bicycles as Hoffman struggled with feelings of anxiety, and he believed that his next-door neighbor was a malevolent witch. Uh, He thought that he was going insane and that the LSD had poisoned him. So at this point, he thinks he's fucked. You know, he's dying. He's embarked on a journey which he's never coming home from. You got to remember, this is the first guy ever to dose himself with acid. So he has no idea what's going on. Like, he thinks he is completely fucked. Um, he said he looked at his partner and said, well, boys. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I have crossed the fucking uh, point of no return. I am fucked. Now, a house doctor swings by, and he says, hey, you know, there's nothing physically wrong with this guy. Um, he did note Hoffman's incredibly dilated pupils. And he reassured him that he was fine. And soon after this, Hoffman started to feel better. Uh, He started to enjoy his trip. As he later wrote, Little by little, I could begin to enjoy the unprecedented colors and plays of shapes that persisted behind my closed eyes. Kaleidoscopic, fantastic images surged in on me. Alternating, variegated, open and then closing themselves in circles and spirals, exploding in colored fountains, rearranging and hybridizing themselves in constant flux. Uh, So on April 19th, 1943, Hoffman became the first person to knowingly ingest LSD and trip balls on a bicycle ride home. Nice. Now, this has since become known as Bicycle Day to commemorate the significant discovery of a psychoactive substance with extraordinary potency capable of causing significant altered states in incredibly low doses. Um, so It's a good week for drugs, isn't it? Oh, yeah, dude. April 19th, Bicycle Day International, man. Celebrate it if you can. April 20th, the next day. Exactly. Hitler's birthday. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> now, now Hoffman himself thought the drug could serve as a powerful psychiatric tool because of its intense introspective nature. Uh, and he couldn't possibly imagine anyone using it recreationally. <laughs> he thought. <laughs> exactly. Um, so... From the time LSD was discovered in 1943, it took about six years for word of this new drug to reach the United States. We're always behind Europe, huh? Now, well, Hoffman and Sandoz, they published the work, but nobody really gave a fuck, you know? I mean, until this one guy comes to the U.S. in 1949, and he gave a talk and was trying to acquire some research funds. Said, hey guys, I need some money. Here's some drugs. Let's well, you know, he was trying. Way. 
Yeah, exactly. You know, as any good scientist does, he's trying to acquire research funds, and this immediately piqued the interest of Milton Greenblatt. Um, he was the research director at Boston Psychopathic Hospital, which is now renamed as Massachusetts Mental Health Center. Um, and in the, in these early days, it was thought that this could be like a... It was very connected to mental health, which I guess it still is. Like, you, you know how they use psilocybin to kind of help with PTSD? Yes, I've heard about that. And so they thought this could, like, cure schizophrenia and psychosis. This was, like, the main interest at the time because they thought, like... This was doctors at the time. They thought that LSD was, like, basically inducing, like, temporary schizophrenia. So fight fire with fire? Exactly. So give it to schizophrenics, and it's going to make them stop. (laughs) You know, it's going to make the voices stop and the hallucinations stop. So, Or it was really like they could take it themselves to kind of understand schizophrenia, which makes sense. Yeah. Um, Fell into a well, eyes went crossed, got kicked (laughs) in the head by a mule, back to normal. So, uh, you know, this guy, he calls up Sandoz Lab, and they send him a fresh batch of LSD. Sandoz, what's up, baby? Yeah, and uh, Robert Hyde, who is Greenblatt's number two man, he became the first person to trip balls in the United States. (laughs) Uh, Now, the CIA is already looking into LSD, and what they like specifically about LSD is uh, such a low dose can produce powerful effects. Uh, i.e., you know, Hoffman only needed one one hundred thousandth of an ounce to be off in another world. Uh, Mescaline and Mary Jane, you know, these had been, this was old hat. You know, this had been around forever, and LSD was thousands of times more potent. So it's easy to be clandestine, you know, uh, because what's the name of the game? Deceit, baby. And secrecy. Uh, so, you know, a suitcase full of LSD would have an effect on everyone in the U.S. Now, they did actually, the CIA did actually contemplate putting it in the water supply to see the effect it would have on a small town. Great. <laughs> but, but, you know, they, they figured out that, you know, this was more the Army Chemical Corps jurisdiction. You know, the CIA, they were interested in the individual. They are interested in, you know, the individual in clandestine operations. They're not worried about poisoning a whole town. Hmm. Hearsay. So the CIA sets out to test this drug as a potential spy weapon. And they want to ask questions like, you know, what effect does it have on individuals? What if, what if this thing is combined with other drugs? Jesus Christ. Does it have any antidotes? What if we, what if we double the dose? Uh, does it have the same effect on everyone? This is what the CIA wants to know. They are asking the hard questions here. That's just being a good scientist right there. Exactly. The CIA is on the forefront of science. Um, now, obviously, acid is relatively new at the time. Uh, nobody but Sandoz is making the stuff. And they've got a stranglehold, a monopoly on the LSD manufacturing business. Uh, and even though they just seem to send you a fresh batch, if you ask, like this, this doctor <laughs> in Boston was just like, Hey, I'm interested in looking at this stuff. And they're just like, Oh yeah, here, here you go. You know, here's a gallon. <laughs> they Have just fun. Said, Tell yeah. All your friends. yeah. They just sent him a fresh batch. Um, now 
As we said, this was a time of massive paranoia, and the CIA was skeptical of Sandoz in that, you know, hey, they're right there in Switzerland. They could be shipping large quantities to the Russians. So, they're, they, you know, they're worried about this. Even though Hoffman's work had been public for over six years, <clears throat> so hypothetically, anybody could make the stuff, you know? True. Um, nonetheless, the uh, CIA receives intel in 1951 that Russia had obtained 50 million doses from Sandoz. Goddamn Ruskies. Now, this later turned out to be false, uh, but the CIA starts getting worried. Uh, now, in 1953, a report comes in that Sandoz was about to sell 22 pounds of LSD on the open market. Hell yes. That's enough for about 100 million doses. <laughs> so this guy's the Rick Ross of LSD. Sandoz Lab? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're the only ones making it. So the, the, at this point, the CIA loses their shit. They have a sit-down with Pentagon officials, and they approve sending two CIA representatives to Switzerland with 240 grand in cash to buy the entire world's acid supply. You know, it's like, let's make a deal. So the CIA <laughs> is basically just the government's <clears throat> drug dealers. Well, not the government. They're just doing their own thing. Okay, so and they're just like, hey, this is a potential drug. Let's buy all of it. <laughs> so this guy, yes, yes. this cocaine, I like it. Let's buy some more. This weed, let's get more of that. Let's buy all the acid. Yes, exactly. You son of a bitch. Let's buy man. all the acid in the world. Now the guy from Sandoz, he said, like they go there, and this guy's like, guys, I, I can assure you, we've never made anything close to twenty-two pounds. Um, he says in the entire history of the drug, which was about 10 years, they only ever produced one and a half ounces. <laughs> now, this is because at the time, Sandoz was using real ergot, uh, which had to be grown in small amounts. This is actually very scientific. I won't get into it right now. Um, but anywho, the suits at Sandoz, uh, you know, there are a couple the of... Yeah, the suits at Sandoz, <laughs> these guys, you know, they're... They're a couple of Swiss businessmen, you know. They're a little, little bit of Mark Cubans themselves. Uh, so, wow, they, this is Shark Tank. Man. Yeah, exactly. This is Shark Tank. So they agree. Uh, you know, the CIA comes in. They're like, "I want the whole company." <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, uh, oh, chill out, Mark. We're only trying to give you twenty five percent." Yeah. No, they're they're like, "Hey, we'll agree to supply the CIA with four ounces a week indefinitely for a fair price." Uh, now, furthermore, they assured the CIA that they would not give any to the commies and they would even notify the CIA when any future shipments of the drug went out. Perfect. Exactly. So the CIA now has a stranglehold on the acid game. Or so they think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Now, in 1954, Eli Lilly and company figured out a way to synthesize LSD. Uh, so they informed the CIA of this breakthrough as they had already been working with them. They're an American pharmaceutical company. Um, now, they didn't publish this until about five years later. And now the CIA has an acid supplier right here in the USA. Mm. Um, no more sending those jobs overseas. I like <coughs> it. Exactly. Uh, you know, they've got an in-home supplier. Uh, so with this, with the synthetic version of LSD, they don't need to grow ergot. So, uh, no, is this like the, you know, synthetic weed versus real weed though? 
No, this is Salvia. actually so. LSD, this is actually better. Well, yeah, because it's LSD, chemical. Yeah. Right? Well, LSD itself mm. is like they're pulling out only the psychedelic ingredient in ergot, and Eli and Lily just figured out a way to synthesize ergot, so it's pure acid. It's like <laughs> you know, like this is as pure as it can get. Um, so, so this and, stuff's actually better. Yeah. And Eli and Lily, they just fucking, Eli Lily company, they just fucking donated this shit. Oh, wow, the they just straight went Randy Moss on your boy at Sandoz. Just pulled down their pants and shit on them. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Uh, now T-Bag, your dad works for a pharmaceutical company, correct? Well, it's not slander the man. Does he work for Eli and Lily? <laughs> he might. Okay, maybe Dennis can get us some acid. <laughs> now, guys, they're only making one and a half ounces of it, okay? No, that was Sandoz. Purely for research, Dan. <laughs> that was Sandoz because they were using Ergot. Eli and Lily can make tons of the stuff. So now the CIA, for the most part, controls the entire world's acid supply. Sick. Yeah, but like you're saying, the recipe's out there. Any Yahoo could go... Make more, right? I mean, I guess, but again, they've got the top scientists. Like, they've went and kind of used their web of deceit, we'll say. They've got their tentacles around the top scientists saying, you're going to make us the purest form of acid, and they're just giving this shit to the CIA week after week. They're getting the Pineapple Express, and everybody else is getting the subpar Maui Wowie. The Snickle Fritz, if you will. Exactly. I mean, it wouldn't, it would be like decades later before people started like synthesizing this stuff in their own right. And I think we'll get into that a little bit next episode. Um, but about the same time all this is playing out, the CIA is spreading its tentacles of deception, its web of deceit. Uh, because, <laughs> exactly. Because in order to test this stuff, they need to like secretly fund a shitload of quote unquote scientific studies. It's called a shell company. Exactly. Rob, our lawyer is already on top of it. So, <laughs> you know, and these scientists, you know, unbeknownst and, and some beknownst to whoa, them. Oh, quotation marks around scientists. Yeah. In that well, no, they, these were actually men of science, but some were just. They took a hypnosis class once in college. Some were more ethical than others will say. Um, so, Objection. you know, some unbeknownst, some beknownst, uh, they report directly to CIA men. Now, if this is at all confusing, CIA men. Yeah. Yeah. So this is confusing. Let me, let me try to untangle this a little bit. Untangle uh, this web of deceit. Yeah. So here's a little example. So CIA, they secretly take control of something like, uh, the society for the investigation of human ecology. Uh, now, they channel funds through that or some other foundation uh, to some doctor who's looking for research funds at a university or a prison under the guise, and they'll say, like, hey, we'll give you 40K, 30K a year if you dose some of your patients with LSD and let us know the results. Or you let us sit in on the experiments, and, um, and we're going to need to look at any research before you publish it. They're saying you make thirty grand a year. I make thirty grand a year. <laughs> exactly. So Whoa. now, now, and then this is best case scenario, or I guess like least fucked up, because like <laughs> some of the test subjects 
were on a, like most of the test subjects were on a volunteer basis, and then sometimes they weren't. And you want to be one of these guys? Absolutely. And and some some of the doctors like they knew what they were doing. Some of the doctors had no idea. Perfect. Now the, and there was definitely more like unethical ways this happened in which the doctors would do shit straight out of a horror movie. As I said, we'll save that for next episode. Um, but most doctors were willing to sacrifice ethics for uh, funding. Sure. Always a hard baby. <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, they, like, they, that's the way this shit always goes. Like, these doctors, bottom line, they want to get their research funded. Um, Cream, baby. And as we said at the top, this, this took place at nearly 50 universities, a dozen hospitals, and other institutions. So the CIA is basically responsible for setting up LSD research in America. Mm. Government's a drug dealers. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so as a precursor to these tests, obviously the suits from the CIA, like any good men of science, they got to try the drugs themselves. Got to. Right. Um, so first they just start dosing each other at the office. <laughs> Sounds like something we would do. <laughs> or you know, we have done. They're they're out at a bar. They might slip some LSD into their coworkers' drink. Uh, you know, you might come back for your lunch break tripping balls. <laughs> you might um, think your buddy's making you a uh, Jack and Coke. Yeah. Next thing you know, you're tripping balls. Yeah, and this is this is like. And as we said earlier, this is fucking CIA acid. This isn't like <laughs> acid I got at the fish concert. Uh, you know, or and, is it? <laughs> no, this is fucking pure CIA acid. Like, God only knows how many doses some of these guys got. So I'm going to read a little bit from the book because. The book? Yeah, the book where I got the research from. The uh, Bible? Manchurian Candidate by John Marks because. Because he recalls, you know, at least one of these MK Ultra guys had a good trip, or it, like this expanded his conception of reality. Now, this guy says, and I quote, so he's dosed with LSD. And he says, I was shaky at first, but then I experienced it and I had a high. I felt that everything was working right. It was like a locomotive going at top efficiency. Sure, there was stress, but nothing in a debilitating way. It was like the stress of an engine pulling the longest train it's ever pulled. He describes seeing all the colors of the rainbow growing out of cracks in the sidewalk. He had always disliked cracks as signs of imperfection, but suddenly the cracks became natural stress lines that measured the vibrations of the universe. He saw people with blemished faces, which he had previously found slightly repulsive. And he said, a change of values about faces, hooked noses or crooked teeth would become beautiful for that person. Something had turned loose in me and all I had done was shift my attitude. Reality hadn't changed, but I had. That was all the difference in the world between seeing something ugly and seeing truth and beauty. Now, at the end of this guy's trip, um, he and a bunch of the other guys that got dosed, they had an alcohol party to help come down. Uh, now he says he started, he says he started crying 
uh, in front of his coworkers because he didn't want to leave it. It felt like he would be going back to a place where he wouldn't be able to hold on to this kind of beauty. Um, now, a lot of these guys thought that he had a bad trip. And, um, you know, this is like, like he, this guy says that like the stereotypical CIA guy, particularly like a guy of extreme counterintelligence, he mistrusts everyone and everything. He usually did have a negative trip because LSD simply exaggerated his paranoia. Mm. Uh, now he states that while under the influence of the drug, um, he tended to have a more global view of things. Uh, you know, he found it awfully hard when he was high on LSD to maintain the notion that I'm a U.S. citizen. It's my country, right or wrong. You know, you have this, you have this idea of like higher feelings. You're more open to the whole brotherhood of man idea. Uh, you know, he said he has a theory that he thinks this is exactly what happened during the 1960s, but it didn't make poor, it didn't make people more communist. It just made them less inclined to identify with the U.S. You know, like this notion of countries kind of became like, like stupid, you know? Is it not? Exactly. Hey, the LSD is expanding this guy's mind. He's saying, you know, everybody (laughs) understood that you, if you had a good trip, you had a kind of above it all look into reality. Um, Out of body experience, if you will. Not only out of body, but out of like, out of your own. Yeah, exactly. Like you're interdimensional. Yeah. You're more connected to the universe and everybody than you've ever been. Your life becomes a Beatles song, basically. Exactly. I mean, can we say the same thing about, I don't want to say every other drug, but most drugs kind of exacerbate your emotions, your feelings to one extreme or the other, right? If I get wicked drunk and I'm in a good mood, I'm having a good old jolly time, got the beer goggles on, I'm loving everybody. If if I'm drinking and I'm, you know, sad already down, it's just going to make it that much worse, you know? Probably crying in front of you guys, telling you she'll never know. Yeah, I've never done like... She will never know. ...specific studies into like every drug, but I I think, yeah, you're right. For the most part, like a drug... Well, just get a job at the CIA and then you can do that. Well, a drug kind of like magnifies your... Your own Perception. persona. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like if you're already deeply paranoid and you smoke a bunch of pot, yeah, you're going to be fucking even more paranoid. <laughs> or like same with LSD, like with these CS- CIA guys. Like these were like hardline right-wing CIA guys. So most of them were like, Hard. everybody's out to get me. This is a fucking sham. You know, like only some guys had a good trip. Like some guys had fucking very bad trips. One guy, they put in his, his morning coffee and he ran out of the office freaking out. Uh, and they, they lost track of him. Now they're looking all around DC for him and they eventually find him huddled on a bridge. And he thought that every passing car was a demon trying to eat him. Yikes. What's going on in that guy's <laughs> mind? Exactly. So, you know, not every one of these guys had a positive trip. That was actually kind of rare. Um, now just to reiterate here, these are the men responsible for our nation's intelligence in a cold war with Russia (laughs) and they're dosing each other like Lao (laughs) Shea and temple of doom, uh, with their morning coffee. 
You know, this is like, it's like they're, they're like, you know, what's that? And he says, antidote to the acid you just drank, Dr. <laughs> <To> Jones. Jones. <laughs> it's like, like, it's like you come into work and your boss, Sid Gottlieb, has like a flower and he just sprays you in the face with acid. <laughs> like the Joker. <laughs> yeah. It's just like... Like imagine <laughs> got one. Yeah, imagine like the pranks of these guys. Ashton Kutcher pops out when you have your morning coffee. Oh hey, I got you a uh hey, I picked you up a Dunkin' Donuts. Um oh oh thank you. Oh that's acid. <laughs> <laughs> oh oh you're tripping on acid. <laughs> they just have a tally board. <laughs> yeah. Got him. <laughs> like it's just a fucking scoreboard of who they've dosed the most. <laughs> Sits up to six this week. Now, see, this is where I want to volunteer for this shit. You know, it's a, these guys are just full sending each other into unknown frontiers of mind altering drugs. And, and this is the reason, uh, this is kind of oh, the reasoning God. behind like, uh, yeah. And we'll redact that. We'll, re- <laughs> we'll redact that out of the final episode. Uh, to, so we won't. To save his name. No, we'll redact it. I'll bleep it out. Slander. But when we dose, okay, it's no secret. Back in the day, yes, we dosed with LSD, and this was this was to expand his mind. We were opening his doors of perception in order to get him to wake up from his drone state and become one with the multiverse. And of course, we tried it on ourselves first. As any good scientist would. <laughs> As any good scientist does, we were men of science here. So if you're listening, you know, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so there we go. Now, now opened, not, up, opened up that third eye for you, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Now, I was unaware of this until it hit him, honestly. Okay. And so was he. For the record. <laughs> we told him just like Sid Gottlieb. Um, but not all of these tests, not all these experiments was no harm, no foul. Uh, now, this brings up the case of Frank Olson. And this is probably like the most famous of the tests within like MK Ultra. Um, this case specifically would help kind of blow the lid off and MK Ultra. And, and they, you know, there's like this whole series on uh, Netflix. They came out with this whole like mini series. It's kind of like a documentary, but also there's actors in it. And it's on like this guy's life. It's called Wormwood. Check it out. Um, but then, again, this is like every fucking Netflix true crime documentary where it's like they could have done this shit in like three episodes. Um, but this one's only five episodes. I don't know. Check it out if you're so inclined. Am I? Um, but the the cliff notes are here and we, and we got to get into this case because, as I said, it's one of the most famous cases, one of the most important cases. So uh, in November of 1953, Sid Gottlieb and the TSS boys decide to uh, they, they stop dosing their own men. Uh, and finally, they, yeah, you know, we got to <laughs> get this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they say, hey. Let's do some of our buddies over in the uh, Army Chemical Corps, uh, the SOD division. Perfect. Um, now, these guys work closely together around MK Naomi, so he figures out. Let's see what happens. You know, we got to get these pranks out of the office. Let's go ahead and debunk some of their research while they're at it. <laughs> this is good stuff. So, so they ran out of guys to dose, basically. Exactly. So they have this three-day work retreat twice a year at Deep Creek Lodge in the woods of Western Maryland. 
and they do their fucking collabs on MK Naomi. Um, so we got, you know, Sid Gottlieb um, and the TSS guys, one of them being Robert Lashbrook. And A lot of fr- Roberts in this episode. Yeah, and from SOD, we got founder John, Dr. John Schwab, Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Ruitt, uh, who was the chief of SOD, and Dr. Frank Olson, who was the temporary head of SOD for some time. Uh, now, there's 12 men on this retreat and all, but these are kind of the main guys, and these are the guys that the experiment is done on. So they go about their typical meetings, uh, mumbo-jumbo, MK-Naomi discussions, and after dinner on the third night, they enjoy a smooth glass of Contro. Now, that's like an orange liqueur. Um, and unbeknownst to them, Sid had spiked each drink with 70 micrograms of LSD. Might as well call him Sid Got One. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so 20 minutes later, Sid asks, Notice anything wrong? <laughs> uh, so, you know... Have you been practicing? Now, these two guys, they now two of the guys, they try to carry on their conversation pretending nothing was wrong. Uh, they ended up getting into a philosophical discussion that lasted the remainder of the night. Uh, but this completely shattered Frank's mind. Uh, you know, he just could not comprehend what the fuck was going on. Uh, he couldn't understand what was happening and apparently after sid had told him they'd been dosed he kept calling them thespians <laughs> like he like he kept saying you guys are a bunch of thespians which is like that's my new thing i'm gonna start <laughs> call- <laughs> i'm gonna start calling people that that's um, like an actor right yeah so he like he was saying they're a bunch of jokers like actors like this was all a sham like an actor yeah you're a thespian you know so <laughs> So the what next thespians what up, up my to? thespians? Yeah, dude, you you guys are a bunch of fucking thespians. I don't think he said it like that. So the next day, things are uh, you know that's an awkward breakfast. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds know. like they were already up for it. Yeah. Now, now Frank is still visibly distraught. So everyone decides, hey, we'll skedaddle on home. Uh, now, Alice, who is Frank's wife, recalls him coming back and not saying a word the whole evening. He was lost in thought. Uh, now, after dinner, he told her that he made a fool of himself. His friends had mocked him. Uh, he thought people from the CIA were out to get him. The LSD literally shattered his reality. Um, and, and this is, as we said, like, who knows what this guy was going through? Like, this was a day when... He ne- like, have you ever seen Revolutionary Road? Yes, I have. Where, like, you just had to suck it up and, like, deal with your problems as a man on your own. And, like, Still you do. know, the, this is, like, the 1950s. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing for you to, like, go to a therapist or, like, you know, like, who knows what the fuck was happening in this guy's mind. And this LSD just fucking shattered his whole worldview, his whole concept, his whole mind. Well, he should have just asked Alice. (laughs) (laughs) Go ask Alice. I got it. Oh, okay. Ask Alice. You know what the chess man said? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, got it, got it, got it. Got it, got it, got it, yeah. Jefferson Airplane. Okay, was so... That, did that just shatter your reality? <laughs> I mean, one pill made him larger. Spiky, dude. One pill might have made him small. Well, he should ask Alice when she's 10 feet tall. <laughs> okay, so... Uh, his whole weekend was fucking somber. It <laughs> sounds like his whole fucking life is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. Like this said. guy could have been depressed before. Revolutionary the road fucking, reference. Yeah. So uh, gave my friends some drugs and they didn't even have a good time. I know this is the guy that was tripping, right? Frank. Yeah. This, this is, is all. This is all Frank. This is Frank. Now Sid was the one dousing them. Yeah, so I mean, his whole life, this whole weekend was somber, and so Frank and his family just like to make things worse, they go see a biopic on Martin Luther in theaters. Uh, now, Alice says in hindsight, this was probably not the best choice considering <laughs> Frank seemed depressed. Uh, she said, you know, this was a very serious movie. We probably made a bad choice in movies. Um, you think? So the next morning, Frank goes into his boss's office, who was Lieutenant Colonel Vincent Ruitt, and he says he's going to quit or be fired. Now, Ruitt calms him down. You know, he assures him, hey, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. So Frank agrees to stay on, and and he seems somewhat relieved. But lo and behold, the next day, he's back in Ruitt's office questioning his own competence, saying he's all mixed up. Uh, and, and at this point, like, Ruitt knows something is clearly wrong. Uh, so he sets up some psychiatric help for Frank. Uh, and now this is where, because Ruitt, he was on the retreat. He was one of the guys dosed as well. Uh, and he is, like, this, I think, is where he's particularly, like, irresponsible, we'll say. Because he figures, hell, CIA caused this problem in the first place, so we'll let them handle this. So instead of sending him to an actual psychiatrist on base, he calls up Lashbrook and explains the situation. Now, Lashbrook and Gottlieb, they meet and they decide, okay, obviously this can't get out. So we'll send him to our inside guy, Dr. Harold Abramson, who is an allergist. Uh, he had no formal training in psychology. <laughs> and why would we be surprised? But but he was an inside CIA guy. He had top C. He was already in on the LSD experiments. He had top secret CIA clearance. So they were basically like, hey, you know, this can't get out. We'll just say this guy's a psychologist and boom, problem solved. He took a uh, psychology course in college, yes? Yeah, because at this point, the TSS guys, they're just like, Sid specifically is just trying to save his own ass. Like, they already went out of the chain of command to do the experiment. Um, and there, and there's also rules in place to where if, like, a situation like this arose and this could, like, embarrass the CIA, they had a ton of psychiatrists and doctors with top-secret clearance to help out in, like, any health type emergency. Uh, but Sid, you know, he wanted to keep this on the hush. Um, and this is where things start to get strange. Uh, and there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here because this is all like cobbled together years and years later. And everyone seems to have a different story from here on out. But so Ruit and Lashbrook, they take Frank to New York uh, he meets Abramson and is deeply paranoid. He thinks the CIA is still drugging him. 
Uh, He thinks everyone's out to get him. He slides deeper and deeper into depression. And Abramson comes uh, that night to visit him in his hotel room with a bottle of bourbon and Nembutal, which is a sedative. This is highly unusual to give a patient in Frank's condition. Sounds highly unusual to give to anybody in any condition. (laughs) He's the therapist here, all right, bud? Oh, um, oh, says here you're depressed. Uh, let's give you two downers. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to cancel. That's gonna we'll, <laughs> we'll get you drunk and then we'll just knock you out. Perfect. Two negatives make a positive. Am I right? Uh, now quick maths. Yeah. Now the next day, uh, before visiting Abramson, they took Frank to a gentleman named John Mulholland. Now this guy was a professional magician. <laughs> who is no, no this is actually this is fucking incredible because i wish we could go more into this and i actually bought the book this guy was a professional magician he who said was, hey you want to stick a uh hook through my arm go exactly ahead, exactly it. this is like do david it. this guy was friends with houdini he was the david blaine of his day um he was like paid by the CIA to write a manual on deception and misdirection. This was all like sleight of hand type shit, like slipping LSD in drinks. Um, <laughs> <a> magic trick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, was, dude, I copies of the document they thought were destroyed, but in 1973, they like resurfaced and were published as the official CIA manual of trickery and deception. And it's about 12 bucks on Amazon. Are I actually owners? bought it. Yeah, I bought a copy. <laughs> and I was, of it's, course you did. It's all like sleight of hand type magic shit and like, you know, yeah, coin trickery. And That's like where you found that trick that you showed Deception, me. exactly. Um, and Check your drink, Rob. This is like classic. Like, it's too late. This is like classic like CIA like mentality at the time. Like these guys were just so dumb. Like they were like, oh, <laughs> I'm a fan of Houdini. I'm a fan of magic. Let's get a magician. We'll hire him. Yeah. I mean, if we know magic, we can dose anybody. (laughs) Like total boys club logic. Yeah, exactly. Like they went the complete (laughs) opposite way on that. Like Arthur C. Clarke quote, you know, (laughs) like, you know, the quote that's like any, um, what is it? Like any, what, what is the fucking quote, dude? Hold on. Anyone's a magician. If you put your mind to it, (laughs) Wrong quote. Oh, yeah. So he says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. So it was the CIA's thought process like, hey, if we learn magic, then we'll be indistinguishable from advanced uh, science. <laughs> you know, like they just got to do a 180. Um, now, the, the whole idea is that this guy might cheer Frank up. And and this honestly <laughs> makes sense because I mean everybody loves magic, am I right? Yeah. Right you are. Yeah, so Frank, he actually became even more suspect and uh ended up cutting they ended up cutting the visit short and taking him to Abramson one more time. After an hour, Abramson cleared Frank to return to Maryland the next day, which was Thanksgiving. Uh, so they would catch a plane the next morning. And that night, they all went to a play, Me and Juliet. Frank didn't make it through the first act. He told Ruit that he knew men were outside waiting to arrest him, 
and he became more and more upset as the play went on. Now, Ruit took him back to the hotel at intermission, and later that night, Frank snunk out of the room and tore up all his money and threw his wallet in a trash can. Now, he later claimed that Ruit told him to do this. Uh, but Ruit and Lashbrook found him sitting in the lobby at 5 a.m., coat and hat still on. Um, so they check out. They catch their flight. Um, and on the drive home from the airport, Frank uh, had Ruit pull the car over. Uh, and he said that he feared he would become violent with his family. Uh, so they decide, okay, Lashbrook... You'll take him back to New York and Ruit, you'll go explain things to Frank's wife. Now, this is an odd choice because Ruit is his friend. Like, this is his boss. This is who he works with. He already was deeply paranoid of the CIA and they're going to send him with the CIA guy back to New York. Like, why wouldn't they have done it the other way around? Um, so they fly back. And they see Abramson again, and he's like, hey, you know, this is out of my league. This guy needs to go to a sanitarium. We need to put him in a loony bin. Uh, so Frank agrees, okay, I'll, I'll go admit myself to this hospital, but they can't get admitted till the next day. So they decide to spend another night in the Statler Hotel. Now, they got a room on the 10th floor. And that night, Frank called his wife and assured her that things were fine and that he loved her. In the early hours the next day, Lashbrook woke up just in time to see Frank in a dead-on run, crashing through the glass window and falling 10 stories to his death. Jesus Christ, Yikes. that's grim. Now, now, what are we thinking so far? Guy Epstein himself. No. <laughs> so, so are we thinking this was like a CIA, like... Oh, guys, depressed? Let's get a room on the 10th floor. Yeah. Like, what's the thought process there? Um, now, well, I th think we all know what happened, bud. And do we think maybe that they were dosing him the whole time? No. LSD is a hell of a drug. You don't think so? No, they were probably like, hey, look, can't take this guy to a loony bin. He's going to say too much. So, mm. Okay. Guess he's just going to have to uh, jump out the 10 floor building right through the window. So you're already deeply skeptical of this narrative? Yes. Okay. Now, obviously, this is where the cover up ensues. Uh, so Abramson, he didn't want anything to do with this. Uh, he, but then he came around and he decided, like, there's no way I'm getting out of this completely. I'll help you guys in the cover-up. Now, local police are questioning Lashbrook until eventually Ruit and Abramson, they get them off his back. Uh, they say, you know, this is above your pay grade. This is highly sensitive matter. This goes up to the top of national security. They said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Check the badge, CIA bitch. Exactly. We're on this, all right? <laughs> uh, now, now, Sid finally has to tell the Office of Security and uh, CIA Director Alan Dulles orders an internal investigation. This sounds like like hazing at a college, like in a fraternity gone wrong, you know? Exactly, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what this was. Like you were saying, boys club. Uh, mm. Now, Lashbrook and Abramson, they basically conspire to be sure that their stories match up. Uh, and they play this off like Frank was suicidal all along. 
Uh, now, pretty much all of the stories from here on out are muddled up. Uh, they got reports that contradict each other. Uh, this is one big kerfuffle, as we'll say. It's the government, baby. Exactly. Uh, but basically, the CIA eventually, uh, uh, amongst themselves, agrees that uh, LSD led to Frank's suicide while simultaneously taking the stance that it was, quote-unquote, practically impossible for the drug to have harmful effects. That can't be. <laughs> yeah. That's they, impossible. And, and they don't let any of this out get out to the public. Um, now, basically, after the internal investigation, they issue a letter that went through numerous drafts claiming that Sid and Lashbrook used, quote-unquote, poor judgment. Quote, unquote, irresponsible. And, yeah. And again, this is just like bureaucratic bullshit. At these, were, these were not put on their personal files. There was no sort of like reprimand or repercussions here for Sid and Lashbrook. Uh, it's just like, hey, we'll just, you know, we'll just write this note. Oh, poor judgment. Guy mm. fucking jumps out the window. Cop's um, tale as old as time. Now, Ruid, he was in on this too. Uh, and he did. Like, he did feel something for the family because he worked with Frank, and he he threatened to expose the whole thing if Frank's family didn't get some adequate pension and two-thirds of um, Frank's base pay. Um, now, Ruit told Frank's family that, that uh, Frank had either jumped or fallen out of the window. It's one of the two. <laughs> we, can't, yeah, so. we can't pinpoint it. Yeah, so... Uh, this was a closed w- glass window that he fell out of, <laughs> or he jumped. You know, we, we really don't know. Uh, you we know, can say he wasn't thrown through it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> did th- he fall? Perhaps. Did he jump? Perhaps. I, I guess, you know, Ruit had to tell him this as this was part of a top secret program. He did not mention the LSD at all. And the Olsen family, they basically had to live with this vague explanation for 22 years. Now, as we said, 1975, the Rockefeller Report comes out, and most of the info released was in regards to Operation Chaos, although, as we said, there's bits and pieces alluding to MKUltra, including a line about an unnamed scientist who jumped from a New York (laughs) hotel window as a result of an LSD experiment in 1953. Now, how often do we think that's happening? (laughs) I mean, <laughs> like, uh, probably more than they're letting us know. <laughs> that, like, so Frank's it's a fam- couple of times. Yeah. That happened, right? <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so Frank's family, they're reading about this in the Washington Post and they're like, hey, you know, this has got to be Frank. How many other scientists are jumping from the Staller Hotel in 1953? Um <laughs> Now, his daughter went to see Ruit, and he basically confessed everything. He apologized. Uh, He said he couldn't tell them due to the secret nature, yada, yada, yada. Now, they're fucking pissed. Now, did the Redskins win that day, and that's why they were reading the post? Uh, That is not why they were reading the post. Uh, (laughs) But Ruit, he told them uh, not to seek compensation, don't go public. They did both. Perfect. Yeah. Now, surprisingly, <laughs> uh, Miss Olson, Frank's wife, she really didn't have any hate towards Ruit. You know, she kind of understood that, like, hey, he was in a bad spot. Uh, but she called Lashbrook and Sid despicable. 
Uh, and they had even attended Frank's funeral. Um, as is done in the mob. As a good scientist does. Uh, <laughs> so, so they Jesus they get a lawyer, the family, they have a press conference, and uh, all in all, they end up getting an invitation to the White House in 1975, and President Gerald Ford personally apologizes to them. Uh, they eventually sign a statement saying that they agree to drop the lawsuit and not file a future one, and they are granted 750k compensation. Nice. Now that's about three mil in 2020. Cool, three mil. Okay. Yeah. Hey, here's a uh, three mil. Just shut the fuck up, please. Now, Sorry about your old man. Yeah. <laughs> now, he now fell out of a window. Okay, it's not our fault. Okay, now lo and behold, uh, this agreement and this compensation was orchestrated by Donald Rumsfeld and Dick Cheney. Mm. Classic combo. And hindsight would tell us that this was essentially a payoff um, so that, because they kind of saw this as like, hey, if they sue us, we're going to have to release information on MKUltra in court. And we don't want that getting out. We don't want any more egg on the CIA's face. So let's just give them three mil and get them off our backs. We have them sign this statement. And so they voluntarily give up the suit. Uh, now, this is just a little like uh, side note that I saw in the documentary Wormwood. To add insult to injury, some years later, after the family received that payoff money of 750K, uh, Frank's daughter... Her husband wanted her to invest the money in a lumber mill. Um, so she flew with her husband, and she was pregnant at the time, in a snowstorm to upstate New York to go, like, check out the mill, and they all died in a plane crash. Jesus Christ. So that's just, like, one more fucking fuck you to this family. Um, Tyler's probably on LSD. <laughs> yeah, now, now, throughout the years, the son... Of Frank, he he kind of keeps at it, and he keeps at it. And in 1994, he has Frank's body exhumed and examined, and the coroner concluded that Frank was likely hit with a blunt object and tossed unconscious out the window. Yikes! Yeah, and this is really like a weird part in the documentary because the son like. The son is, I'm going to say, a very, like, unlikable guy. And it's just, I mean, obviously, like, that's a horrible thing to happen to your dad at such a young age. And I'm sure it really fucked him up mentally. But he's just, like, he's talking about going and seeing his dad's dead body and that he could still make out his penis. Oh, I mean, l- like check out the documentary. It's fucking oh, weird. Thanks. It's fucking weird. That's neither here nor there. Now the son. So both of um, Frank's That's the only tidbit you give us. Yeah. I mean, it was, it, <laughs> that was weird. So, so they have the body exhumed. They say, Hey, this guy was like the, this was not from the fall. He was hit in the head with a blunt object before he was thrown out the window. Now the sons filed a suit in 2012, but it and was, we're not talking about the blunts that he was hitting. Exactly. Now the sons, they filed a lawsuit in 2012 for wrongful death, but it was ultimately dismissed because as we said, mm. they signed the statement in 1975. Mm. Um, now, so 
call that an NDA, baby. And yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. So basically, <laughs> you know, hey, um, Hey, uh, we already paid you to shut the fuck up, so uh, go fuck yourself. Yeah, hey, uh, here's three mil. Uh, go fuck yourself. Love uh, Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> we uh, <laughs> there you have that out of a window, so fuck off. Yeah, there you have it. Now, now let me let me let me kick this question to you guys because the son kind of like plays it off as like he was never really buying it all along, but they took the money. I mean, if that was your dad and he died under some mysterious circumstances and the government was saying, hey, three mil, here you go. Just don't ever ask us anything about this again. Are you saying, fuck you, and I'm going to keep fighting to f- to clear my dad's name and find the truth? Or are you saying, hey, give me the money? I'm probably saying give everyone in my family three mil and then we might have a deal, bitch. Okay, so you're just negotiating for more money. <laughs> Typical. Okay. Hey, we know you guys are drug dealers. We know you got money, so let's see mm. it. All right. Now Show T-back. me the money. T-Bag, how about you? Yeah, I would probably take that money, but that money would be funding. Like, I would be, I'd be trying to find some stuff out, find some answers, maybe go in like Guns Blazing Rambo style. But you're at the same time you're taking the money, you're signing a thing that says you're just going to leave it all alone. No, well, you can sign whatever you want. Still do whatever you want. So you're okay. exactly like this guy's son. I'm hoping a little more badass, but yeah. Okay. Um. So, I mean, there you go. Like, that'll do it for part one. Uh, now, part two, we are going to look at some of the more interesting cases and quote-unquote field tests. And hopefully not talk about exhumed penises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're just going to see how widespread this web of deceit goes because... Uh, I got to tell you guys, like some of these, some more like acid, like get some more acid on hand for that because uh, some of this stuff in part two makes this whole like Olsen case look like a freaking lighthearted prank. Like some of these other experiments makes this Olsen stuff look like a walk in the park. Some of these other experiments makes this Olsen stuff look like a freaking... Exhumed penis. <laughs> Some of these other experiments look like jerking off froggy style. <laughs> Some of these other LSD experiments make this Olsen stuff look like a freaking episode of Friends. <laughs> Some of these other LSD experiments make this Olsen stuff look like the Olsen twins. <laughs> Look like an Olsen twins movie. Yeah, I mean, next episode, we'll get into the titty horror movie experiments. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's fucking insane, dude. You guys will see how fucking insane it is. And I mean, there you have it, you know. Uh, Guys, keep your heads on a fucking swivel. Uh, Maybe learn some magic. (laughs) Because as we said, the best defense is what? An exhumed penis. A good offense. Fucking magic. <laughs> exactly. We got to learn magic to stop magic. Uh, so take so like, just take some LSD and you'll be fine. Take some LSD, watch some David Blaine videos, and, and we'll stay see away you next from time. the 10th floor. And there you have it. Yeah. And, and if you're ever like coerced into like a bad situation of like you know too much, don't ever let these guys take you to the 10th floor. 
say, no, 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 I want a room on the first floor or I'm going <laughs> to sleep in the car. You know, you don't you don't ever let these guys say, hey, we're going to get a room on the 10th floor. Well, you're the one that wants to do this stuff, bud, so maybe take your own advice. Hey, I mean, any good scientist would know. Yep. We want to stay on the ground level. Uh, and there you have it, guys. I mean, that's MK Ultra Part 1. Um, so stay tuned. Part 2, coming soon. Same bat time, same bat channel. And on that... Hey, guys. Uh, just, you know, wanted to say thank you to the Loyal Legion, as always, for tuning in. Uh, if any of you guys want to get in contact with us, you know, podcastfromouterspace.com is the spot to go. Also on the gram, Podcast From Outer Space. Or if you want to shoot us an old-fashioned email, podcastfromouterspace at gmail.com, baby. And uh, that's it for me. Shout out to the homie John Nixon. Thanks for being a loyal member of the Legion. Hope you're doing well out there, pal. Check your next class. You never know what will be in there. And to the rest of you, so long and thanks for all the fish.